0: You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I am joined again by Gene Henley, and we welcome you in. Welcome you in excuse me to another episode of the podcast. I want to thank all of you for tuning in here. If it's your first time, welcome in. We appreciate it and, and are very glad to have you here for this episode. Uh, stay along for the ride for the rest of the offseason season and when the season begins by subscribing. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're literally just about everywhere you can find podcasts. So be sure and subscribe today if you haven't already. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Gene, we're roughly 120-something days away from the start of the college basketball season for Tennessee. Men's basketball as the time of recording of this podcast. And last week, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk about this yet um, since it happened, but Tennessee got a big-time commitment in the 2022 class, their first one in the 22 class from BJ Edwards, the in-state top 100 four-star point guard out of Knox Catholic. We've talked about him, I think, multiple times. Obviously, this point on the podcast, um, we have United has haven't had a chance to talk since he committed to Tennessee. When we last talked uh, last week, we talked about both uh, he and uh, oh goodness, was it Dylan Mitchell that came in with him? Whoever it was, uh, they, they came in on an official visit. Together, um, and then I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't saying that the commitment was going to be imminent by any of those guys or anything like that. But you know, obviously, keep an eye out for B.J. Edwards because Tennessee definitely felt good at where they were with him. Lo and behold, he announces. I think the next day after we recorded the podcast that he's going to be announcing his commitment the next day at one, and then he did. And it was obviously Tennessee. Gene, I I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on it because I I, I I well I didn't really give my thoughts, but I interviewed. Uh, one of the coaches at Knox Catholic about B.J. Edwards and his game and you know what he brings to Tennessee. And he obviously was very glowing about him, but you expect that from a coach. But I know you've gotten a chance to – I believe you've gotten a chance to see him in person. I've seen highlights of him and stuff. I've not got a chance to see him in person, but I know uh, several people who have. And everything I've heard about him, and I know you and I have talked about it before, is that he is underrated considering where he's ranked right now. He, he did, I think, get a little bit of a bump – in the 247 composite, because I, I assume he must have got a bump on Rivals or ESPN or something since his commitment to Tennessee, because now he's a consensus, or he's at least a, a 247 composite top 100 player, which I don't think he was when he first committed to Tennessee last week um, on Thursday. Yeah, on Thursday. He's now just inside it, but he's the number 99 overall player onto the 247 sports composite. On 247 sports, he's number 68 overall. He is the number 14 point guard in the composite, number 11 point guard on 247. And he is a top um top three, top four player in the state of Tennessee. Gene, this to me, um I think this is a, a perfect way for Tennessee's twenty twenty two class to start. It, it feels like for you know anyone out there who may be kind of a more of a casual Tennessee basketball fan listening and cares more about football, to me it, it feels a lot like a comparison of of getting your quarterback committed early in the class and being to build around him because to me I think it's an easy comparison to say, you know, a quarterback or is or the point guard is kind of the quarterback of, of a basketball team. That's kind of a, you know, a fairly easy comparison to make. To me, I think this is very similar, actually, I guess, to really how the the 21 class was. I, I, obviously, you had had uh, Mayshat commit first for Tennessee, but then Kennedy Chandler committed. And that was, you know, a big piece that really Got you in with guys like Brandon Huntley Hatfield that made it more appealing for him to come in for him for Jonas Adu to come in for even Justin Powell to transfer in to Tennessee. So I think this to me, looking at who Tennessee's in on in this 22 class, we've already touched on several of those guys in, in previous podcasts before. But uh, Gene, I want I want to hear your thoughts on B.J. Edwards. You know, now that he has committed Tennessee, and also I think this is again basically the the best way this 22 class could start for Tennessee of getting the point guard that you assume. Unlike Kennedy Chandler, is probably going to be here for a, a couple years because I, I don't I don't see Edwards being a one and done. Heck, he, he could end up being a one and done, but I, I I obviously assume, barring injury, that Kennedy Chandler is going to be a one and done. But we've talked about it before. I, I I think BJ Edwards will be here for a couple years. So, your good thoughts on that, and give me your thoughts on um you know just this how you know what this means for the rest of Tennessee's class moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think what what this does is. I'm trying to remember I don't know what the, the clear-cut answer to this question is, but who was the last well-respected well-known Knoxville kid to commit to Tennessee?
0: That's... I'll go back and apologies.
1: Look. Apologies to Drew Pimper.
0: Right, right, right. You're you're if there. you're saying like a, of a highly rated type of guy. His paper was not high rated. He said he, he was known by Knoxville guys and played Knoxville. But yeah, I mean, let me let me look up that really quick while you're talking and I'll get back to you on that one.
1: Because I think that's the part that can't be overstated. I think it's a credit to, I mean, and, and look, to be fair, I get it. He's no more a Knoxville kid other than the fact that he played at Mox Catholic. kids from Johnson City. I, I, I get that. Um, but, to have a kid who plays high school in the city and is coveted by other programs, and you got that kid because it's not all that often that that Knoxville has those kids. They don't necessarily just they don't push out those kids because everybody, you know, everybody every kid comes to the world with a, a football or in the girl. I mean, obviously every boy that comes to this world in Knoxville is more often than not given a football uh, in the crib. And I think that for, for Tennessee to get a guy who was coveted by the likes of a Kansas, um, Florida, I know he took an official visit there. I mean, I guess it really just came down to Tennessee and Florida, more, you know, more, more or less. And I think it was always going to be Tennessee. But uh, I think what it does is it just, you know, it, it's, it's a good look, first and foremost. Like it's a good look, and I mean, I, I think that when I was, when I watched him play, um, there were some shades of like a Jaden Springer, except he's not, you know, he's not as strong, um, maybe not as athletic, if that's fair. But he, what he is, is he, he you know, he's one of those guys who always can get to a spot to get shot. The performance he had against uh, the the We All Can Go team—I don't remember exactly where they happened. He had 33 in the game. Uh, I had a chance to watch a portion of that game—the game against Mikey Williams at Knox Catholic a while back—and mm-hmm. he was by far the best player on the court. And there were probably a couple of NBA players there. Um, he's going to be—he's going to be ready. I think that's a big thing. Like where we are with kids now is. Are they ready when they get to college? I had a chance to speak with one of uh you know PJ's teammates, uh, Quante Berry, who's going to Providence, I had a chance to speak with him yesterday. And, you know, he had played a year or two at Bradley Central High School and then he transferred to this, you know, this prep school in in, in Winston Salem, North Carolina. And one of the things he told me is you gotta have that constant if you wanna be ready to play the like thing you get to college. You, there can't be a, a there can't be a drop off in the level of competition that you're getting. Like I, I'm getting that competition from March until you know August or yeah you know, whenever AAU season's over. Because heck, I can go to practice and just you know just battle against BJ. But I'll, he's uh, now I'm getting it from August until March as well. And you know for a guy like BJ that plays at at Knox Catholic where he has a chance to be pushed. Um, I mean, I guess he can go up against a guy like Blue Blue Kane, another Tennessee early Tennessee target. You know, perhaps we'll see what happens with that. Um, I think that that's a good look because that, that's a kid who's going to be around for a couple of years, but also has a chance to be productive while he's there. I mean, I, you know, we always we, we all we both kind of assume that Kennedy Chandler is going to be in and out um, in a year, which means he'll be given the keys. You know, when he gets there, he'll have the opportunity to take the keys. I'll say it that way. Well, when he first gets on campus, and you know, he's the type of kid who can go there for two, three years and make an impact. And I think if you have that, if you have a, an, an area kid, Tennessee isn't, go, isn't going to be hurting for attendance in any sport that they're good at. That's just reality. No sport that they're competitive or good at, and heck, sometimes, some in some cases, sports they're not. They haven't been good at recently, uh, they're not gonna have attendance issues. But if you have a Knoxville area kid that you can kind of claim as your own just look, not the Knoxville so area you can kinda of claim BJ as one of theirs because he plays his high school basketball at Catholic. And to get a guy like that in your program it's good for Catholic because you know now you know you can point to well we can send kids to Tennessee. It's good for B Mays because you, you now further the pipeline that you have you know, the perception of a pipeline that you have between uh, your AAU program and the University of Tennessee, because you've had, what, three or four players? Uh, you know, trying to think, yeah, I believe this is the third player that's committed for it because of uh, Drew Pimper, Drew Pimper Jaden Springer, Huntley Hatfield, now uh, BJ Edwards, that has committed to the program, I mean, to Tennessee, you know, from your AAU program. And, you know, it's good for Tennessee because you're getting a player who's going to step on the, you know, who's going to step on the, the court at University of Tennessee ready to play. And again, if he's as ready, if he's as good as I kind of think he's going to be, um, he's not going to be explosive. He's not going to be your 25 and 10 sort of kid. But I think he has the potential of being a really good basketball player in Tennessee, and they kind of keep, you know, if they if they're able to build something this year, he has the ability to kind of keep that thing going, you know, next year and beyond.
0: Yeah, to answer your question, real we'll quick, we'll really quickly here, the the other most recent name I, that I could find that really was, you know, as you said, kind of respected and and kind of was a name that was had gotten attention from, you know, upper major schools and whatnot. And even then, it wasn't like a bunch of upper major schools. But I mean, Jordan Mountain is the only other guy I, I could find at Knoxville in the last like 15, 20 years that really was. You know, like you said, no no offense to Drew Pimmer, no offense to some of these other guys I've looked up, um, but those are the only he's really the only other one in the last recent memory that it was is really a, a big ish name in the Knoxville area. Again, that's you know that's excluding other names possibly from East Tennessee that would have been there. Even looking at that though, it wasn't like there's was a bunch of guys in the East Tennessee area that were really big, um, aside from if you're going to go further down south and, and Chattanooga, Cleveland area, but. Other than, other than Jordan Bowden, you, you don't really find any big names that I can really see until you get back to the 80s and look at a guy like Doug Roth from Carnes. I mean, that was in the you know, mid-early 80s. So, I mean, it, it's been few and far between. And obviously, Knoxville is not like a big hotbed of, of basketball either. But it's been, to your point, Gene, it's been few and far between where Tennessee's been able to say, hey, look, this kid's from our backyard. This kid is literally like right down the road from our campus. And he's going to come here and he's going to be a, a, a big-time contributor at our program.
1: Well, and what's funny about that is even if you throw in, you know, down way down to Cleveland and Jawan was a walk-on. Yeah. You no? Know, Vincent Yarbrough? Like, so we're going back 20 years? Like, yep, even cause... if you just throw the East Tennessee stuff in there, you're going back, you know, Philip Jurek? Did he ever play in Tennessee? I feel like he played, or he signed, or. I feel like he he, he was he reality. was one that I, I mean, before I was,
0: like really kept up with stuff. I feel like he, I mean, if we're one of our listeners feel free to let us know, you know, the details, and all, but I feel like you're right. Like he, he signed but never really played. I think I mean, he may have played. a lot. I look up a stat line of 75. I don't I don't recall that he actually really. I know he played. went to
1: Oklahoma State, and right. that's where he spent most of his career. There he was flirting with UTC at one point, but something happened there. I don't remember exactly what. He,
0: but, he doesn't um, have any register
1: stats for at Tennessee, so. So yeah, even if you throw, even if you throw that in there, I mean, in terms of getting the guy, like to me that matters too. Like, like UTC's got a kid from Chattanooga who's is on the team. That kid walked on, and he, he's—he's—I mean, he's on scholarship now because he's a good player. But he walked on, and so like you know, so when you look at that, and when you realize just how long it's been, I mean, look, Bowden needed an extra year, school. Yeah, he went to the,
0: the, what, 22 Feet Academy, I think is what it was.
1: Yeah. So, about needed an extra year. You know, Pimper. you know, to be honest, I mean, I spoke with people, like, recently that were like, man, when they got Pimper, a bunch of people were, just like, looking at each other, like, who? You, you took him? Uh, and look, I think the kids are in a good spot now. Um, as of all people, it was, um... Uh, I heard an indirect conversation that somebody that Conzo Martin had with somebody that where he said you have to be able to guard your position. And that was something that Pember could not do and that was a problem. If you can guard your position, you've got a chance. If you can't guard your position, it's gonna be tough. And so if you're going back that that far, then man, uh that speaks to East Tennessee. Now, again, look, I understand there's maybe a couple guys that have I – mean, heck, if you just look at East Tennessee as a whole, it's not like – it's not a basketball hotbed by, by any means. Uh, that is 100% reserved for West Tennessee <laughs> completely. And so, look, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like, look, Johnson City stand up. Kid was born there. Knox, Knox Catholic stand up. That kid was developed there. Be made, stand up. That kid was developed in your program. So I think from that, it's a really good look. And I and you got a player who's the top 100 player who was coveted by other schools. I mean, you know, there may have been questions as to why he wasn't recruited more, you know, more highly. And that's fine. But I think Tennessee. As look, maybe you. Could you go as far as calling him a steal, perhaps? But I, what I think Tennessee got was a really good player who has a chance to be a contributor from day one, and has a chance to be really good for that for that program for the duration of his time there.
0: Yeah, and, and again, to your point, look, you know, I'm interested too. That's not like East Tennessee is some big recruiting juggernaut in. Basketball and they're getting better in football um overall, but it's still obviously not in the top 25 of biggest areas of college football recruitment either. um But I mean, just going back, I'm looking, been going back through here on 247, looking at kind of different um state rankings or state of Tennessee rankings in, in college basketball over the years. And, and to your point, it, it is West Tennessee, West Tennessee. It's Memphis. It's it's Lexington. It's Jackson. It's like it's it's both And you have a few in Nashville. And in every occasionally you have you know. Wednesdays, Tennessee, so, you know, but a lot of the ones you see that are mentioned from Chattanooga are Hamilton Heights, and that's not, you know, the guys who play at Hamilton Heights aren't from Chattanooga the majority of the time. You have guys like Abdul Aldu who is obviously not from Chattanooga, not from Tennessee playing down there, and, and you know, the, the list goes on. Urish project played at Hamilton Heights, I, I think, right? Yeah, obviously he's not from Tennessee, so a lot of those guys who play there aren't actually from the state, so yeah, it, it, it I think it's it's important on multiple levels, for Tennessee in this class to get a guy like B.J. Edwards committed early um, and committed now because it, it sets you up. Again, he's got relationships. He, he came on the official visit with Dylan Mitchell at the same time. I think that's that was not a <laughs> definitely not an accident uh, that that happened the way it did. You've got Tennessee in on several other guys who I think, you know, I got like an Ernest Uday Jr. who's going to want to come and, and play with the guy who can get him the ball as a, as a, a 6'10", 230 center. Um, you, look, you look at Case and Wallace, who Tennessee's in on. He's w- going to want a guy who can distribute the ball to him and get him some more scoring opportunities because he's listed as a combo guard, but I think he's definitely going to play more of a shooting guard. um in, in college, he may he may be in, in high school, he may be kind of having a, a point guard role, but that is because he's probably easily the best player on his team, so they're going to want him having the ball as much as possible. I don't I don't foresee him being a point guard of the next level. So again, it it it's. Good for Tennessee in a multitude of areas, and like you said, you can't even you can't overlook the factor of the locality of it, of it, of it, what it means for having a Knoxville kid be a, a a prized recruit in this class. And like you said, you it, it's you can say yes, it's put on a platter You have a, a kid in your backyard, you you definitely need to get them. But we've seen multiple times in Tennessee football, for example, of guys being in the area, being really good, and Tennessee not landing them just because they're set up on a tee for you. Doesn't mean you're going to hit it. You can swing and miss. Tennessee football has swung and missed multiple times on kids in your backyard. Look at T. Higgins. Look at Amari Rogers. Look at Cade Mays initially. I mean, those are just recent examples of of guys here in your in Oak Ridge and in and and Knoxville who you didn't get. And obviously Cade Mays came back around the, the you know transferred back to Tennessee, but still like it, you missed them on the front end, and that's again just the examples off the top of my head. There are other ones that I can think of, or if I thought, sat here and thought longer, that I could think of, too. So just because it's set there on the tee doesn't mean you're going to hit it. Tennessee hit it with BG Edwards, and I think it, it speaks volumes for what the potential of this 22 class and, and this getting a very good foundation for it. But Gene also since we last spoke, I think as we were recording last week's episode, I think it was on the eve of it's either on the eve or the, or the day before or the eve eve i can't remember if we recorded on tuesday or wednesday of last week um but it was very soon of when the nil was going to go into effect the name image likeness rule in college sports and on the first day the first few days of it, we already saw a bunch i, th- I think most of the focus was on the football side of it because that just gets the most attention we, we saw multiple guys all across the country already signing deals we saw uh, you're getting endorsements and sponsorships. We saw a few guys here at in Tennessee get um endorsements and sponsorships and um announcing they're gonna be doing things and, and you know looking into things of the season as well. I to my knowledge I have not seen a any of Tennessee's basketball players yet uh, you know sign any endorsement deals or anything like that or nor any Lady Vol players. But you know I gotta imagine that we're going to see whether it's a guy like Kennedy Chandler, who obviously is a, a big name for Tennessee that, you know, is going to get a lot of attention. Maybe, you know, uh, John Ferguson, we I, I did see on Twitter where he was tagged in a tweet talking about uh, him needing get to get an endorsement from Powell's, which, I mean, that's just obvious. I, I, I would be very surprised if, if Powell's uh, over in uh, here in East Tennessee area doesn't give him some sort of endorsement deal. Or, you know, there isn't something that comes out for that here in the near future. But even just beyond that, I mean, you look at Brandon Huntley Hatfield. I mean, Josiah Jordan James has been here long enough to where, um, you know, you, you imagine that he's built some relationships in, in the Knoxville community to where maybe he gets something uh, local. Maybe even I, I don't. I think obviously Kenny Chandler is the biggest one to get something maybe more national oriented. But even look at Lady Vols. I mean, you have if if Renaya Davis was still here, I think she'd have been an obvious one. But does Tamari Key get something? Does Jordan Horston? You know, do they have something going on with them as well? To me, Gina, I, I'll, I'll be very curious to kind of see how the NIL affects Tennessee men's and women's basketball. And I think, honestly, all the talk I've heard on sports radio, of course, not like I listen to a ton of sports radio anymore. But all the talk that I have heard when I have been listening has been all about, you know, what does the NIL NIL mean for Tennessee football? Does the, does it give them an advantage over other programs more than you'd think because of the way Knoxville is set up and how just focused Knoxville and East Tennessee is on the football program and Tennessee athletics in general. I think that works the same way for Tennessee basketball for both the Lady Vols and the Vols, because I think that obviously the Lady Vols brand is going to carry a ton of weight in the women's basketball world. And if you have any anything specifically geared towards women's basketball, I think there's a good chance Lady Vols and UConn get some of the early ones on that one. But to me, Gene, I, I kind of wonder here, you know, this to me evens the playing field even more. The college basketball has been notorious for being, um, you know, very dirty and paying players and obviously all the stuff with the FBI and everything that's come out over the last five, ten, you know, five, six, seven years or so, whether it was Duke or Kansas, Auburn, LSU, whatever, uh, North Carolina, although that was, I guess, an academic thing, but still to me, this kind of evens the playing field a little bit more because these schools that were doing it underhanded and doing it secretly, they're still going to do that. You're still going to have things that are being done illegally. But this really kind of evens the playing field and, and allows these other schools that are, you know, maybe didn't have the resources to do it, underhanded as, as much as these these bigger schools. Now you have some opp- interesting opportunities for a, a, a school like Tennessee, where you're the flagship of the state. You, you you have obviously Knoxville businesses and whatnot, but you also have Nashville because let's face it, it's not like Vanderbilt is going to command a ton of interest in men's basketball definitely not women's basketball the only thing they're really going to command a lot of interest in is baseball for the nil in my opinion obviously memphis is a different story i don't know that tennessee the vols are going to get a whole lot of traction in memphis with with the tigers and with penny hardaway staying there but uh, gene i'll be I, i'm going to hear your thoughts on it because i think the nil i think tennessee's positioned fairly uniquely here because of the way the the boosters are here at tennessee the way that the, the market is at tennessee you're not just in the Knoxville market; you're the Nashville market. You you can hit some of the North Carolina market, which I don't know if that's going to really be as as big of a you know as big in, in basketball. I think it's more football because basketball you're competing against UNC and Duke for the North Carolina market. So good luck there. But I do think Tennessee is more uniquely positioned than really most of these schools in the SEC. Um, I, you could obviously make a case, and I think it's a fair case for some other schools, you know, being more uniquely positioned than Tennessee. But I think Tennessee's got a an interesting, um, an interesting pitch, and just I think positioned very interestingly for both men's and women's basketball.
1: Yeah, um, I think the biggest winners from the name, image, and likeness. And I'd be lying if I, I said that I've really kept up a ton with it, just because of right. some other things going on, you know, basketball, AAU basketball-wise. But um, I think the biggest winners are, are Miami, USC, SMU, um, programs like that. Because those are major markets who have had, you know, who have very prominent donors and boosters that have the sorts of money that last time I checked get you put on probation and so like where where I where I find the name image and likeness interesting is the fact that now in this particular moment isn't you know to your point it is an even playing field but now the question is where would you like to live if you're a 17 year old kid where would you like to live? Knoxville, Tennessee, or Miami, Florida.
0: Yep. The thing
1: like you're a 17 year old kid who is being wooed right, yeah. by all the top schools in the country. Your final your final schools, you know, two of the yeah, your your final schools are Tuscaloosa, you know, or Bama, Miami, and Tennessee, and they're all and they all have their boosters that are able to offer you something. Like, where would you choose to live? Like, I know my answer. But I, 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 I'd, I'd be interested to know yours.
0: Well, I mean, definitely you're going to choose Florida. I mean, that's just if you're a 17-year-old kid who doesn't live in any of those states already, like, you're going to choose Florida. That, I mean, it just based on an yeah. objective looking at it.
1: So, I think because there's always been a sort of perception that... uh that ba- you know that basketball and football, specifically in like the SEC, is a pretty dirty game. Oh yeah. And so now that that's been laid bare, like it's it's no longer it's no longer that whatsoever. It is no longer that uh, everything can be done out in the public. Um, and, and you know, like there's so many things that you can pitch in a Knoxville, Tennessee, and look, you can be loved. The reverse of that is, uh, the, the reverse of that is, they can, um, you know, like the fan base, like the, the fan base, the fan bases of a Tennessee in Alabama, will will be far more uh, wonderful, I guess you could say, for, to you than like a Miami. So that part goes to like what you want, but as it pertains to Tennessee and specifically Tennessee basketball, a guy like John Fulkerson, um, now if, I, if I'm pals and I don't know if it's possible, it's probably not possible. I'm trying to set up a location in Knoxville, yeah, because yeah, you can endorse you can endorse pals in Johnson City, but unless you live in Johnson City, you can't really benefit a ton from that. Now John can, but. Like if that if that was me, I try to get one at least somewhere remotely close to campus. I don't know if that's possible, but that's what I try to do. Um, a guy like Kennedy Chandler, like he may be a decent endor, me, he may be a decent endorser of a product, but at the same time, he's also going to be a 17-, 18 year eighteen-year-old freshman. Um, so I don't know. You know, Vescovi could be an interesting person, like. Like, like, I'd be interested to see the sorts of company that, you know, that a guy like a, a, a Vescovi could be in play for. Because, look, he he is Santiago Vescovi is the type of guy that I do think women, you know, would find attractive. Which means there's a certain level of product that, if I'm smart from a marketing standpoint, I'm stuck i find him involved in some of these things. I don't know what they are, but they do exist. And people can kind of let their mind go wherever they want to as far as that stuff is concerned. But there's not many guys there. I don't think Victor Bailey moves the needle. Uh, now, on the women's side, I do think that's interesting because, like, a uh, Ray Burrell. Uh, because, look, the fact of the matter is, like, people sat here try to act like this is solely a thing that will uh, will help football. Look, I think women stand to gain far more from this. Yes. And a space like a place like Tennessee that has such a loyal fan base that goes back decades and generations, and now your you know the players on your team have a chance to benefit from that. Like I, again, I, I can't. I haven't had enough time to think about the sorts of things but I, that that would be the, an interesting thing. What could be pushed? What products could be pushed? But Ray Burrell, that's, that's now the face of your team. Like, Tamari Key is a good player, and I think she could, there's some marketability there. Um, a great thing would have been if this had come into play last year. Yep. Um, you know, if, if, if this had come into play last year, Eve Ponds, Tamari Key, Sloss Waters. <laughs> there you go uh, because uh, what they did in basketball what they did blocking shots you know and little things of that nature would be great uh, but that's that's kind of the out of the box thinking that you have to have I don't even know I don't even know if, look, even know if last Water is still a thing don't have a clue but um, but I, I, I'd imagine that there are a few players that still have some level of marketability Jordan Horston could have something uh somebody made somebody made a joke to me the other day what about jerry garantano and i said apple turnover that'd be a good product for him to sell especially in Uh. knock uh sorry i had to make the joke podcast (laughs) listeners i'm sorry but if we listen Uh. to your podcast listeners i'll say as much you may have cringed like my friend nathaniel did but inside you are kind of giggling because you know that was a good that's (laughs) some of my best work uh you can find me on stage anywhere make sure you tip your bartenders but You know, like, I I do think, like, I think that the interesting thing is where will the connection points be for products that you can sell? I mean, obviously John Fulkerson and Pals, but obviously with Pals and Johnson City, how beneficial? Because, I mean, last time I checked, God, they do a, University of Tennessee and and some of the guys there, they do a really good job of marketing Pals and John Fulkerson without him having a, a sponsorship on it. Yep, they do a really good job of that. Um, you know, like if you just type in focusing and pals, I, I, I guarantee you're going to have a lot of hits there. So, what I look at there is, um, you know, I look at a, I look at it as it can be beneficial. I don't think it affects people quite nearly as much because most of the schools that have the opportunity to Push these products. Most of the schools that have an opportunity to push the products, um, like their economy runs off of the success of some of their programs. But so, like, but like again, that's why I said you know the people who really stand to benefit are some of these big city you know schools, Miami, USC. You know, like I said, SMU. I mean, all of them have been put on probation for things for things that were somewhat out of their control look did they turn their back and did they act ignorant to some of the things that were happening obviously i watched the smu 30 for 30 um i lived the usc stuff you know we all watched the u part one part two they were on probation when the thing started they were on probation when the thing ended um so, like, I think that's where they, you know, those are the schools that really stand to benefit. Now, everybody else, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I do think that there will be some opportunities for some kids to make some money off of who they are and what they do. And I, and I think that's the thing that I like, that I like the most, that I appreciate the most for, um, yeah, that I appreciate the most in, in terms of this actually coming, you know, going through.
0: To <laughs> to your point, to go back really quickly to the Fulgerson Palace thing, like I'm, look, I'm looking at a tweet right now from his Twitter account, not not even the UT Twitter account, but his Twitter account from uh, May May of last year. But all it says is hashtag This is Kingsport. It's a picture of him wearing a hashtag This is Kingsport T-shirt with a cake, like shaped like the Pals Restaurant, like iced and looks like, looks exactly like a, a little mini. Pals restaurant, I got that thing got over 3,000 likes and 300 retweets. So I mean, that that just like I said, just from his account. doesn't look at what Tennessee, obviously, like you said they they definitely did a. Another thing is referring to him as like a the Frenchie fry and, and things like that for different tweets with them. And if you just Google Pals and, like the first three things are are stories from WVLT or WBIR talking about out. In, in 2018 where he credited his big game to a pre a pregame Pals meal. Uh, before Tennessee's March Madness run in, in 2019, he said he got my, I got my pals, man. So like <laughs> to your point about that, like already doing a lot of advertising for for pals and, and doing it a great job and getting a lot of engagement without him being in a, a you know them officially sponsoring him endorsing him. But yeah, I think your point about also about this being huge for women's sports. I think I, I think that is a really good point, and I think it especially like like you just said the way the the Lady Vols fandom goes back and is huge. I, I don't think there's a bigger women's basketball fandom, professionally, collegiately, period, than Lady Vols. Yeah, UConn's obviously had more success in the last 20 years, but their fandom isn't... It, the Lady Vols fandom is older, and, well, in lots of ways, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but in lots of ways they are. But they're older, they're spread out more across the country, and that that Lady Vols power T with the Lady Vols uh, script is a recognizable brand from East Tennessee to California. I mean that it even overseas the Lady Vols, you you know people over there know who the Lady Vols are. Um that is a the, and, and there's Lady Vols who have foreign Lady Vol players who are in positions of power when it comes to finances, when it comes to business and things like that. And, and obviously that's obviously true for Tennessee football and, and men's basketball and stuff too. But I think, like you mentioned, I I wish this had happened last year. If for your the funny thing you mentioned there with with Key and and Pons, but I maybe mean, Renai Davis would have been able to take advantage of this big time last year. I, you look back at I mean you look back years and years ago, and you look at you know what Candice Parker could have done with the NIL and whatnot. But I think if tennis if start really rebuilding the brand and rebuilding the program here in the next few years, you know what. Could those players, the, the ones that are on the roster right now, the ones that have a lot of potential, whether it's a you know a Brooklyn Miles or maybe it's a, a Kaya Wynn who are who are, you know going to be freshmen this year who are coming on to, to the, the team, what could they do? What, you know, how could they benefit from this? Because th- those those players were really good players at their respective uh, areas in Kentucky and Texas, and Sarah Puckett was a really good player in in Alabama, so. You wonder even, I I've wondered like back home, like where you're from, would you get endorsements from places you're from, even if it's from a totally different state of, you know, if you're playing in Tennessee, if you're from Georgia, Alabama, do you get, could you get endorsements from those places? And, you know, I, I think the the possibilities are basically limitless at this point. And we've already seen, uh, you mentioned Miami, Gene, the, the Miami uh, booster who's donating? Oh God, I can't remember how much it was. But he he basically said he's going to throw out there uh, tons of money to the you know the university to, to attract uh, recruits and start not recruits but to you know help the the program there. So I mean that that to me you look at all the boosters at Tennessee and some of the the names you have associated with the University of Tennessee. I mean, there's a lot of big money involved with the University of Tennessee politically, uh, globally, you know, nationally, globally. Uh, that that to me. I mean, could you imagine the first Tennessee athlete who is the face of the pilot flying J gas stations or, or something like that? I mean, that to me would be something that because obviously you see every pilot in Knoxville, little cardboard cutouts of, of the current head football coach or the current basketball coach or whatever. Imagine those cardboard cutouts now starting to be posters or cardboard cutouts of players. And they actually get, you know, a to big money. Often, not former players, but current players. You know, not not an old picture of a an Eric Berry or a Peyton Manning or a Jason Witten or, or whatever, but current guys. Like you know, you walk into the you walk into the pilot and you see a, a Kennedy Chandler cardboard cutout. I think that that just even things like that. You mentioned like a small things, like the fly swatter or like a if you're a, a, to go to football, if you're a lockdown corner, you sponsor some sort of security company. I mean, that to me, like the the possibilities here are. Endless, and I think it's gonna like you mentioned. Th- there's so many businesses in the economy in Knoxville that are dependent on these athletic programs being good, specifically football, but also I mean men's basketball turns a profit every year. Women's, lady balls are one of the few women's basketball programs who are capable of you know bringing in revenue and, and turning a profit. It's it may not be obviously nearly as much or anywhere close to what men's basketball or football brings in, but the fact that you're still getting a, a third sport like that to bring in revenue and not be in the red. That's impressive. So yeah, I think the, the sky's the limit, obviously, in my opinion, for this. But to unless you have another point to add there, Gene, I, I, I will move on to kind of a last topic. And I didn't bring this one up with you pre-show, but I want to save the other one that you and I did talk about for next week because I want to kind of go more in-depth. I don't think we have a whole lot of time to really get too in-depth with it here. But there is one thing I want to bring up. We have, I, I want to say we've kind of talked about it a little bit um, in previous podcasts. We've more talked about like how are the minutes going to be distributed for this upcoming season for the men's team and kind of, you know, rotation wise, how do you, how's this going to work out and all this different stuff. And then, you know, you have this many guys that can play this spot here. So who comes off the bench, who's starting, who's playing more minutes here and there. But I thought of something that to me is an interesting thing to kind of question. Who's going to be this team's leading scorer. And obviously we don't spend a lot of time, but this, this can just be a, a, a kind of quick little topic to kind of close out the podcast. But I, I'm very curious to see who is this team's leading scorer next year. Is it a Victor Bailey? Because he was actually – he's the team's leading returning scorer, and he was the third leading scorer last year. You, you take off Keon Johnson, you take off Jaden Springer, and Victor Bailey Jr. is the leading scorer. He's, he's the leading scorer returning from last year. Is it him? Is it a, a Santiago Vescovi? Because we've talked about how we think he's a guy who can really flourish in an off-ball off role of, of not being the main ball handler point guard but of being more of a shooting guard. I think it'll be interesting to see which of those two guys gets more minutes and that could dictate who ends up being the leading scorer. Is it one of those two? Is it is it, does Kennedy Chandler come in and, and be a, a more of a scoring threat? Because I think he's going to be a scoring threat, but is he going to be more of a distributor? You know, what, what kind of, how big of a scoring role is he going to play? Is he going to be a third option? Is he going to be the second option? Is he going to be a guy who's the main option? Then you also got to look at Justin Powell, who showed a lot of flash and a lot of, of, of scoring potential in the games he played at Auburn. Obviously, I don't think it'll be a John Fulgerson. I don't think it'll be, you know, a Brendan Huntley Hatfield or a Josiah Jordan James because James isn't a guy who's going to typically score upwards of 19, 20 points a game or in a game. He's going to be a guy that's going to hover around the 8 to 12 mark, but he's also going to give you 8 to 12 rebounds and assist a game too. But, I, I, you know, Gina, I would like to know, in your opinion, who do you think is going to be the leading scorer for this team? Because I think they are legit probably – Three, maybe four options of guys that I, I don't know. I think before last year you look at it, and you think it's it's. there's a good chance it's going to be one of the freshmen. You, there's a good chance a guy like Keanu Jaden is going to be the leading scorer. You thought maybe Viscobi could. Um, you, we didn't know what you're going to have with Victor Bailey, but I, I never thought he'd be the leading scorer. I thought he'd be, he'd be a good kind of third option, which is kind of what he ended up being. And I, I thought Fulkerson would be up there, but I didn't think he would be the leading scorer. And I thought it probably would be better if he wasn't leading scorer, just like this year. But this upcoming season... I honestly do not know who'll be Tennessee's leading scorer, and I think that's I I think that's a good thing, but also at the same time, like, it also wouldn't be bad to know because it means you have a bona fide guy you're gonna go to, and Tennessee hasn't really had that go to type of guy in a while. But also I think you have guys who you feel comfortable having the ball in late game situations at this point too. So it kinda of wrapped up in, in the whole conversation of who's leading scorer. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that too. Is is that is good that we don't know or is it a thing of Tennessee doesn't really have a a go-to guy, and should that be concerning?
1: Sorry, Uh, I don't think it should be concerning. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a positive because, you know, like what you're going to spend the first 10 to 14 games, whatever the non-conference schedule looks like, however many games it is, I think it's 13, um, 12 or 13, you're going to spend that time kind of carving out some of those roles in those early season games uh, you kind of want one of your upperclassmen to be that guy um, Like in terms of like being the go-to guy because the go-to guy doesn't always have to be your leading scorer He just has to be a guy that can make some shots Look, I mean we're watching it right now in the NBA playoffs Giannis Giannis is the Buck's best player, but their go-to player down the stretch is from Chris Middleton and you know, and obviously Giannis is their leading scorer, but, you know, they need a shot down the stretch is Chris Middleton. So I don't think you need to know who the go-to guy is. But to answer the question... Yeah, and, and question, really
0: quickly before you... Sorry, really quickly to, to, before your point, I mean, to look at Tennessee in the past, like Lamonte Turner and Aaron Schofield weren't your leading scorers, but you felt those are kind of guys you felt good, obviously, with Turner late in games. So yeah, that even that tracks with Tennessee over the last couple of years.
1: Exactly. And, you know, like they both... You know, my very first game officially on the Tennessee beat was Tennessee Gonzaga when mm. Admiral Scotland hit the three, at the top of the key to beat him, to beat Gonzaga. Um, and obviously the Monte Turner, his shot that year to beat Kentucky, and he had, beat, he had hit one the year before to beat Kentucky. You know, you had guys. But, you know, to go back to the original question, I think that what you're looking for is, you know, like if you're going to look at this logically, to me it's a guy who um, – is going to have opportunities, so I think it kind of takes out of Huntley Hatfield, mainly because whew, Because the way out, the way that I look at their team, you have a guy in place in uh, Josiah Jordan James who does some of the same sort of stuff. So there's a level of accountability that Huntley Hatfield will have, who plays a similar position. That you know, if you don't, if you're not getting it done, I've got a guy who can. Uh, so then I ask myself, what position do they really fill? as so they've got somebody that's pretty invaluable at the position, and that is and that is Kennedy Chandler. You know, that's they don't have a guy who does that. And, and so he's going to have every opportunity to play. Like him not playing will be 100% entirely on him. And the team gets worse if he doesn't play. So to me, it better be Kennedy Chandler. Simply because, you know, if nothing else, he needs to lead your team in minutes played. And I think as a result of that, and with so many of the other pieces being relatively interchangeable, I mean, Vescovi and Victor Bailey are both kind of shooters. Josiah Jordan-James and um, Huntley Hatfield kind of play similar styles um, a little bit. Obviously, Huntley Hatfield is just so big. But, you know, Josiah Jordan-James is a great rebounder. He can make some shots. And I think we'll get better with a full year, a full off season. We'll be even better this year with a full off season. And then you have um, Justin Powell, who will have tons of opportunities to make shots, and will probably be the person I think who will have the uh, who will have the chance to slot into uh, Chandler's role in the event that he's not getting it done. But you really want your number one point guard in the country to kind of take the range when he first gets there. Otherwise. You're you're not going to feel as though you got a Complete and total return on your investment It just again it's, it's Is that fair no But that's reality too Like he needs to be what you think he's going To be otherwise You're not going to feel like you got enough Like him just being a develop, him being Jalen Brunson is nice And that's fine him being a guy Who's there for two three four years and Develops and maybe leads the team To some good stuff along the way Is nice but he can't be a guy that goes in there and averages like six, seven points, maybe three, four assists, because Tennessee's not good enough behind him for him to not be a guy who averages about 10 to 12, 13 points, six, seven assists on a team that I think could easily have four or five guys average double figures and the team average around 75 to 80 points a game, which is, uh, in this day and age, you need to be averaging about 80. That's just reality. And right. you know, Tennessee struggled offensively last year. You've got better pieces offensively, um, but at the end of the day, it, it to me, it kind of has to be Chandler, just because I think that he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot and uh, should probably play a lot more, if not as much as anybody else on that roster.
0: Really quickly here before we close out, that would be it. Would be interesting if it was Chandler because that would be back-to-back years where your top scorer has been a freshman. And I'm, I'm going through rosters right now to see. I I don't even know. This past year was the first year in a long time that Tennessee had a freshman B-year-leading score. I don't know that Tennessee has ever, in men's basketball, had the freshman or a freshman, a freshman B-year-leading score of back-to-back years. Look, looking as far back as I can see, the 2004-05 team, so 2005 was the last time before this past year, that I, at, le- at least from what I gather, that you had a freshman be the leading scorer. Actually, no, not even that year. That Chris Lofton wasn't leading scorer as a freshman. Uh, Scooter McFaggan was at that, that 14.3, and, and Lofton was 13.2. So never mind, because Grant Williams wasn't leading scorer his freshman year. Robert Hubbs actually was. So I don't know that if, if, it's, if it ends up being Kennedy Chandler this year for Tennessee, I don't know that Tennessee has ever had back-to-back years where a freshman was your leading scorer. I, I'm going to keep scrolling here, but I, I would imagine just – off the top of my head, I would imagine Allen Houston was probably your leading scorer as a freshman, his freshman season, but I don't think the year before that he probably had a freshman leading the team. So I think that would be interesting to see that this could be potentially the first time in school history you had back-to-back years with freshmen as your leading scorer. So it's just something you see at Kentucky, something you see at you know, some of these other programs like North Carolina and, and Kansas or whatever, but that's not something you've seen at Tennessee historically. And I think that would be a, it'd be very interesting to see if that was the case where Tennessee has, you know, last year since he's top two scorers were freshmen so this year if it's a freshman and then you have you know if it's justin powell i mean technically he's a i mean he's he'd be a sophomore but he'd be a young sophomore so i mean that would be interesting too so yeah i i i, I think you made some good points there i think if it's not Kennedy chandler you almost feel like you said that like you haven't got gotten your return on investment but if he's like two points per game away from me in the leading score and he's still averaging like 13, 14 points a game, and your leading score is like 15, 16, then obviously that's a little different, but yeah, I didn't know if you had any other points you wanted to close out there with Gene, while I'm still looking to see Uh looks like 1994 was, Ed Gray was a freshman and led the team with 15 points per game, um, Wade Houston's last year at Tennessee um, so that looks like the say, last, time, last time a freshman Gray. led Tennessee <laughs> yeah,
1: is your team good if Ed no, Gray is your no. leading scorer. Please no, put that no. on a five, five and twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. that, that's there, therein lies the <laughs> issue. The, the year after Allen Houston left, and a year before Wade Houston followed him out. The pool, so,
0: correct. Yeah, and then the year before, obviously Allen Houston was the team's leading scorer his freshman year in uh, in eighty-nine ninety when he scored twenty points per game um, in his first year at Tennessee. But the year before that, um, oops, sorry, the year before that. It was a senior and Darren Nix who led the team in scoring. So to my knowledge, it's never happened where Tennessee's had back-to-back seasons with, um, freshman leading scores. So that'd be very interesting if that happened. So like I said, if anything else you would add there, Gene, but if not, I'll, I'll, uh, close out the podcast.
1: No, I think, I think we're, I think we're good. Uh, yeah, I
0: think we're good. All right. Yeah. I think, that'd like I said, good point about the return on investment, but again, uh, uh, this season, you, you have more scoring options for Tennessee, or at least perceived on paper, more scoring options. So that, again, you mentioned you kind of got to be around the 80-point per game mark to really be a legitimate title threat in college basketball nowadays. And if Tennessee's got guys four legitimate scoring options that are that you could feel could go for 15 or more points in on a given night, That makes you feel. That makes you feel like that 2018, 2019 team where you knew Grant was capable of scoring 20 in a game. Admiral was capable of scoring 20 in a game. Bowen can give you 15 uh, or 20 in a game. Uh, Lamonte could give you 15 or 20 in a game, and heck, even Bowden could go off for 15 or or so in a game. At that point, Cal Alexander was going to be a guy who's going to contribute and give you, um, you know, close to a double double sometimes on nights, but still you know score close to double figures. So. If, you, if you're getting back to that level, you got to feel good about where Tennessee basketball is uh, this upcoming season. But that'll be where we end it, this episode of the podcast. Again, we'll, we'll save something that Gene and I talked about beforehand for next week's episode, so be on the lookout for that uh, for next week. But until then, this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast, and we appreciate you all listening along. I'm Nathan Rutherford. I was Gene Henley. As I mentioned top of the show, you can find us everywhere our podcasts are found. or on social media. Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter, Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You all know the drill. Subscribe to us if you haven't already. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Signing off, for g and I'm Nathaniel. And until next time, this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.